Welcome to A Moment of Bach, where we take our favorite moments from the composer's vast musical output, just a minute's worth or even a few seconds, and show you why we think they are remarkable. We are Christian and Alex Giebert. I'm Christian. My co-host is Alex. We are brothers, in fact, um, twins, and we think that it's going to be funny to see if anybody can tell our voices apart. Um, Already you may have been lost with that. I'm Alex, and I'm the one who started talking at the beginning of the podcast. <laughs> That's right. And Alex is going to present the first musical moment uh, today. And we, the two of us, are professional musicians and also composers. Composers tend to love the music of J.S. Bach. We're also church musicians, which means that we have to have um, another sort of academic or even like something more profound appreciation for the music of Bach. And... The first question before we get started with any of our episodes regarding moments of Bach is why this composer? Obviously, one of the most revered composers of all time. But I think that it's mostly that there are many different approaches you could take. But one is that J.S. Bach never wrote a bad note. He didn't deliver anything second rate. Everything was very pristine. His uh, technique was very good, but it was also very emotional and very moving. That's one of the reasons why Bach. And I think there's more that we can explore as we go. And I think that another reason is besides that consistency, it's also a consistency of output and qu quality and quantity, basically, is what I'm trying to say. I mean, he would have to write all these things for church services, sometimes in long stretches of his career, weekly new pieces of music for church services and he would do that just with the utmost idea in his mind of this music is here to praise god that's what my job is i'm going to do the very best that i can and with all of his knowledge and skill also yeah a lot of a lot of bach's music is sacred music and vocal music as well but he also wrote educational music um virtuosic really difficult music for instruments keyboards and ensembles secular music as well so it's an immense musical output, and people a, lo a lot of people love Bach, but our idea here is that what if we just took little moments that we love, not even one piece of music, but a part of a piece of music, a short part, 30 seconds, a minute, maybe even a couple of seconds, and figured out what made that really tick and what makes it really work. And everybody's got something like that that they can search for, Musicians, also non-musicians, church musicians, non-church musicians, everybody's got something like that. Uh, and a lot of people have something like that about a particular piece by J.S. Bach. So that's what we're going to do. And uh, we're going to start. Our first one is going to be presented by Alex. And that's what today's moment will be. And that will be the Dona Nobis Pacem from the Bach Mass in B minor. And we're, Alex is going to particularly focus on one moment from that choral movement. There's sort of a heartfelt reason for me why I love that moment so much, besides the fact that it is kind of the culmination of this huge work. You have the Mass in B minor, one of the last things finished 
in Bach's life, really compiled from so many different sources of other pieces that he had written throughout his life, into a huge Latin mass, a little bit unusual for him since most of the music he wrote was in German. But the reason it really hits me is because it was the first big work, I think, that I really even studied or felt strongly about. And I got to play timpani on this when I was a sophomore in college when this was performed um, at Concordia University, Irvine. And it was really a just superlative experience. I mean, and I really delved into that. Now, the timpani part is way the easiest thing that you could do, whether you're a singer or an instrumentalist on this work. Um, you only have two notes on the timpani in works from this era, but it was still pretty amazing. And that timpani comes in right there at a crucial part of this piece. And it has a little more history than that. I mean, this particular work of two or three minutes, this particular motet basically is what it sounds like, um, of an old style was something that Bach had written earlier from one of his earlier cantatas, Wir danke dir. And so that's German. Then he uses it in the Mass in B minor, but earlier in the Mass, uh, for Grazias Agimus Tibi. It uses two different little lines, one for the subject and one for the counter subject. And it still all comes together the best, I think, in the very end, when you've, you've just marathoned through this huge piece of music that's like two and a half hours long, you get this last movement. The thing that I love about this moment if we can zoom in to this moment, the thing that I love about it is that we have this four-part texture, but then suddenly the bass kind of drops out. It sounds like it's kind of floating and soaring, and suddenly the trumpets come in and they soar over the soprano part, where you only had four parts, now you have really six, although like I said, the bass voice just kind of cuts out there. And it just gives this lifting, flying feeling until suddenly the bass plus the timpani comes right back in on that main melody statement, um, it just really touches my heartstrings there. And once that happens, you basically only have another minute or so before it's over. So that carries you through to the end of this phrase of Dona Nobis Pacem, which means grant us peace. And what a nice way, what a profound way really to close off the entire work there. So you said, Alex, that it was a motet. Can you explain what that means? Yeah, I mean... Uh, I'm, I'm sort of referencing the old style. Bach would, would consistently write in, um, well, I shouldn't say consistently, he would be inconsistent in his styles throughout these works, which is really cool. He would have a piece like this, which sounds more like an old style motet, like basically just parts, just vocal parts doubled on instruments is how he would score these. And then the newer styles, which you'd hear a lot in the arias with the solo voices, with a solo instrument called an obligato. And so then these things would always be just in play against each other and keep keep a lot of like vitality in the whole piece. When you're listening to a piece that long, like two and a half hours, it's really nice to have that variety between the movements. So, right. So Bach was a composer who lived in what we now call the Baroque era, in which there was instrumental parts that could be written out and the music was a lot more florid and decorative and um, a little more showy and emotional. And the time, the big period of music before Bach, we would say, is the Renaissance. And that's the more austere, pure vocal mu church music of like the high church. And that is what Bach is going for in Dona Nobis Pachem, right? Yeah, I think so. He's going for an old style. To, 
for him, it's old. For us, both are hundreds of years old, but it's different. Renaissance music is was was the old style for him, right? So this is a yeah, stile antico is what the term was. That that was my I think that term was coined by Monteverdi because Monteverdi was like after that, and he would be he was trying to consider himself to be the next thing after stile antico. But yeah, yeah, we like to say in, in music history that sixteen hundred is a pretty good divider. Like it divide, it's the end of the Renaissance era of music, and it begins the Baroque era. And a lot of things, um, a lot of technical things in music actually changed during that time. J.S. Bach lived, uh, was he was born in 1685. All of his best stuff is written in in the beginning of the 18th century. So J.S. Bach was a person in the future from the Renaissance period. So when he does something like this that Alex is explaining, it's it's a um, reference to the past and these monumental works of, of counterpoint of the past. And, and I think that speaking of counterpoint, we should have you also describe what you meant by um, subject and counter subject. Sure. So you have in this particular movement and almost every movement here, at least the choral movements of this work, Mass and B minor, have some kind of counterpoint happening. But you have this subject that sounds like this. And then you have the next thing that will come in after all the voices have sung that subject, one after each other, sort of in counterpoint. Then the next thing you'll have is the counter subject. something like that. And so he just takes those two ideas and constructs the entire piece out of that. Right. Um, and when we get to my favorite moment there, what you're hearing is that first subject, but high up in the trumpets um, kind of dominate and the bass drop out. And then when you hear my, my favorite moment, right, when the timpani comes back in, that is another big moment of the subject reappearing in the lower voices. Yeah, this music... Bach is well known for what we call counterpoint, and people say fugue, which is a type of counterpoint, and that's the technique, which Bach was a master of, of weaving together a bunch of independent musical lines and making them all work together. And a lot of times they imitate one another. And so you hear Dona Nobis Pachum being sung by basses and then tenors and then altos and sopranos, and it overlaps this beautiful sort of ocean of waves on top of one another. And that's where Bach really shines. And um, like Alex was saying, in the Dona Nobis Pachum, there are two subjects. There, well, there are two phrases that get passed around. Uh, there's that first one that's just maybe a couple of long notes long. And then there's a short. There's one that's a little bit more sprightly and faster. And they all it all comes together to form this this masterwork. Yeah, and if you listen to this, and when you hear this again at the end uh, soon here, you can listen for the, the high voice, the soprano, to come in. Um, it happens after some soaring trumpet notes. They come in. And then, right after they come in on the first note, you hear the bass instruments and voices come in on a lower note. And you can hear what I mean by this counterpoint. The whole piece is constructed on it, but here's how it sounds in that moment.
And and this magical moment, does it happen that sort of happens at like the the money spot in the in the piece too? It's like near the end, but not mm-hmm. quite at the end. It's like a like something it's almost got the perfect ratio of like something almost like a even like a pop song ratio where the the big moment is gotta happen like about a little more than halfway through, maybe almost three quarters through, you know. Yeah, and similar to a pop song, how you'd have like a verse and a chorus and a verse and a chorus and then maybe some bridge or solo or something in the middle. And then you would come back really satisfyingly to the chorus again and maybe even change keys up or something. Pop songs like to do that. Well, we don't do the key change here, but this is similar where you got to that point in the piece where you really want that cathartic moment. And like we said before, it's the last movement in a huge work that's over two hours. So that's another reason why this this moment just feels like so complete once you hit that and then you get to the end. And, and that it has trumpets and timpani. Yeah, which, which you only hear in a small handful out of the whole piece. I mean, trumpets were not like they are today. They were harder to play and they couldn't play in as many keys. And timpani, you couldn't tune them as, as well as you could today. And so you just had those two pitches, like I said before, only those two pitches could be used in the entire work. So that's why Bach doesn't use them a lot. And when he does have big festive movements, he makes sure that they're in a key where he can use both those notes. Right. And you know that if, you, that if you're hearing a piece of Baroque music and you hear some timpani and trumpets, you know that it's a festive piece of music because they weren't called for unless it was a celebration. Okay. Well, with that, let's now hear the clip as performed by the Netherlands Bach Society of this musical moment. This introduction to a musical moment by Bach has inspired you to hear the rest of the Mass in B minor. Please see the link in our episode description to see that performance by the Netherlands Bach Society. Now, one last word on our musical examples. This is pretty incredible, and it's one of my favorite things about this whole podcast um, plan. And that is that as we searched out how to bring a moment of Bach into the podcast world, how's that going to work? What recordings are we going to play? How are we going to access rights to those recordings and things like that? Well, the oldest continuous, probably the oldest continuous Bach society that is a an ensemble that is dedicated to performing music around the era of Bach, a lot of Bach, some of, some of his contemporaries, is the Netherlands Bach Society. So they're not German, they're actually Dutch. Uh, but they've been at it for decades and decades. They do a yearly St. Matthew Passion, and it's a big thing in the Netherlands. 
And the Netherlands Bach Society is one of those top-notch groups that plays on period-accurate instruments, older instruments than the modern orchestral ones that we use today. And we are using the recordings from the Netherlands Bach Society. And this is, I think, sort of the crown jewel of, of a Bach podcast. And the Netherlands Bach Society has given us permission to use their recordings. And that's just, we just think that's kind of amazing. Yes, we do. <laughs> because I think it's really remarkable because they are such a first-rate Bach ensemble. And they're interested in helping out for this reason. The reason is... They have a sort of mission of sharing Bach with everyone and making it accessible and free. And we know this because in recent years they've started their All of Bach project, which is a very ambitious project that will take many years, where they will record with HD video and really good audio every everything, all of Bach's output, which that's huge. Bach wrote a lot of music, and depending on how you slice the numbers, well over a thousand compositions. And that's not to mention different parts of different compositions. And these things are freely available on YouTube. They don't even run ads on their YouTube channel. And they are in the middle of the Olive Bach project. They haven't recorded everything, but they recorded a lot so far. And in that spirit, we thought uh, they would be the perfect choice for the music musical cues for this podcast, because they are trying to share Bach with everyone. And podcasts are also free, and we are sharing our moments of Bach with everyone. So we're really thrilled to do that. We are. And so just like anything you hear on this show, you can always go find that particular work by Bach recorded by the Netherlands Bach Society. And not only that, you can then, of course, use that as a launching pad to go find a bunch of other great pieces by Bach that's done by that group. Because it's all on YouTube. And like we said, um, it's not all done yet, but that's their mission. Right. We are, we are recording episodes in the pandemic season. It's really hard to go to concerts right now. It's for, for a lot of people, it's a really tough time to be musically fulfilled. And one of the things that gets us through that, I think, is these Netherlands Box Society videos because they're just so good. And um, it's really great to see those period instruments and these people with the basically experts in 17th and 18th century performance practice they know uh, how things should should be performed. They have really interesting takes on things. And because they're doing everything of Bach, they have to have all these sort of sub-ensembles, a bunch of guest directors, because they got to do all the cantatas. They have to do vocal music. They have to do instrumental music. They have to have a lot of keyboardists. So they have all these people working on all this stuff. It's really inspiring. Yeah. So we hope that you join us next time on episode two. And Christian, what is the work that we're going to look at in episode two? We'll be looking at cantata number 61, and that's Nun kommt der Heiden Highland. Bach wrote actually a couple of those, but we're looking at the first one he wrote, which is BWV 61. It is a cantata, and I've got, I've got a musical moment from within that cantata that we're going to look at. It is an Advent work, which is appropriate for when we're recording right now, which is its church season of Advent. Do you want to hear our new episodes as we release them? Find us on your podcast app and hit subscribe. Okay, until next time, enjoy those moments. <laughs>